Do you remember that? Happy talk. Yeah. He's like, we'll we'll, talk. Yeah, we'll talk about dogs and daughters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were just watching Goodwill Hunting so that Liam could catch that accent. Ooh, I never say my son's name, anyways. So he could catch it. <laughs> so he could catch that accent because we were only in Boston to go to the airport. So he didn't really get to hear it. He loves to pick them up. So well, that's cool. Week. He does accents. Yeah. This week he's decided to start mimicking our pastor. So I'm like, well, if you hear it, just know it's <laughs> That's good. Well, he's got the acting bug from you. Yeah, he does. That's <laughs> cool. True. That's fun. Well. It's uh, Monday again, and here we are. And this is live stream number twenty-six ish. We think it's number twenty-six. Now we had we had a crisis of knowing right before. Is it or is it not? It's the twenty-seventh week. Oh my gosh! Uh, but um, David couldn't be with us today, and we have Carib here in his stead in order to talk about um, a bunch of stuff. We so. We've been discussing this issue that a parent brought to us about how to challenge, how to effectively challenge some of the propaganda in children's schools, elementary in particular. This is a, and um, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more, but that's the topic we were thinking that it would be great to get your take on, Kara, because you're such a, a strong parents' rights advocate and you've been really involved in pushing back on what's going on in schools. And I think you have recently made the decision to homeschool. Yes. So that that's kind of where this parent is also trying to decide, is it worth continuing? Is there an effective way to work within the system? And can good still be done here? Or do I need to just take my kids out despite the things that I think that they're still getting out of this program? Because it's not a completely um, you know, all or nothing thing. There are still some benefits that this parent is finding in the school. So. But first, we usually have David read us a little intro to Solid Ground, and he's not here, and none of us have that intro handy. So let's just do our best and tell people what Solid Ground is. Deborah, you want, you want to tell people what, what Solid Ground is? Let me see if I do I have my mind. It's a peer support group community, um, people who have been concerned about um, critical social justice, aka wokeness, or um, kind of authoritarian measures like COVID mandates. Um, it's a place for people to come together who are either you know, facing these issues, concerned about these issues, wanting to just have somewhere to, to speak freely because we really support um, free speech in the fullest possible extent and potentially to get advice from each other. Um, the piece that we will add though is this, this is neither therapy nor legal advice and should be not be construed as such. <laughs> We, we meet, um, we have meetings um, four times a week, um, Mondays, what do we have? Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. Um, anyone can drop in at any time if you join the platform, which is $5 a month. And do you guys remember the URL? That's the part I don't um, remember. Solidgroundsupport.com. Okay, Solidgroundsupport.com. I'll put it in the notes too. I, I'll update that in a little while and put that in there. So um, yeah, super that's great. And Deborah, you've been a part of this for a long time. You found Solid Ground first as Counterweight when, yes. when, when it wasn't Solid We were working with Counterweight before we started Solid Ground. So you've been around throughout this whole process. Yeah, it's two years, actually. I was just thinking, I think oh we started gosh. July, two years. I, know, I was going to say, David, it's our two-year anniversary. <laughs> All being in a little group. Uh, yeah. And you were in David's Counterweight group. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, I, I take it that a lot of the people who started with that group are still there. Um, we have a little email chain and then, but a number of us have come over to solid ground. So, you know, some are, some aren't, and I still, you know, try to send things out into that email chain, but I'm a little more occupied on the solid ground platform. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you can see, I like to post a lot. Well, a lot of good stuff. There's a lot going on and you're really good at keeping apprised of everything. So is it specifically for people in the mental health profession or can anyone who's feeling kind of hopeless join? Anyone. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I would say we have a good percentage of them because a lot came through Leslie um, and seeing Leslie's videos about the situation at Antioch. And then, so that pulled, I'd say we have a, dis we have a disproportionate number of therapists. <laughs> we might need to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I've thought maybe it would be good to have a therapist specific group at some point because we do have a lot, but it's, it's open for anybody. And we have a lot of people from different backgrounds as well. Um, just wherever you're confronting these things in your life, sometimes one of the most valuable, I guess, forms of support can just be having people understand, especially when there's so much invest invested in not understanding people right now, it feels like, but all the gaslighting that's going on and all the like nonsensical ways of thinking about things that we just until yesterday had a completely different way of thinking about. So having people who can come together and say, yeah, I see this too. This is you're, you're not crazy. This is really happening is it's nice to have a group like them. So, um, the parent who brought this issue actually, um, um, we discussed it in one of our solid ground groups last week. And I thought that was a really great discussion, but it's hap it's, it's an important discussion to carry on, not for this particular family, although for the, for this family as well, but because it's happening so often right now, we're just, it feels like our education system has been completely captured and completely turned into something new. And from, from kindergarten or even preschool all the way through graduate school, we're seeing this wave of ideological transformation broadly in the education programs and institutions. And so I first, I'd just like to get your thoughts on whether it's still worth engaging with these programs and to what extent, and if there's something that parents can still be doing or should still be doing within those programs to help push back on that. What do you think about that, Carol? But I think the first thing is, is that parents have to change their mindset because there's a lot of parents who will come and they'll say, I know there's something wrong. I know it's wrong, but um, I think as long as in the quiet circles in our basements, we tell them the truth. But what they're not thinking about is the fact that there are so many people, I mean, the kids are in school for more than half of their day. Mm -hmm. And then they're coming home and they're getting on social media or they're watching cartoons. And it's not just education that's captured. It's not just the brick and mortar school that's captured. It is also PBS. It is also Nickelodeon. It is also Disney. Um, the things that kids are are watching a lot of. So in terms of what can you do if you're keeping your kids in? First off, I should say, I think you should get your kids out. I, I am at the point where even though I run a, um, a parent group, I'm still, I just want to like cl close it off and just say, I've given you warnings for two years. Now it's time to focus on homeschool. Um, I do know that there are some schools, there are some charters, the charter that we used that every August she sends out a letter and she says, we will not be doing CRT. We will not be doing SEL. Both of them are political ideologies that we're forcing on people. Um, but I don't know how with what I talked about the other day with Title IX, they can keep doing that. Um, I think that there's a point where they have to put some of these things in. Now, one of the things I've learned about teachers is that some teachers are teaching what's required of them, but they're also putting it through a lens of, now this is what they want you to believe. And here's another viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that that's a, that is probably the healthiest way that we can, we can talk about it. Um, because they're going to have to, they're going to be forced to do these things. And people who think, you know, a lot of religious people say, well, I'm sending my child to school to be the light. Mm -hmm. One of the things they're not understanding is that this is not only captured in the brick and mortar building, but it's also captured in churches. It's captured absolutely everywhere. So in order to push back, I mean, I, I wish I had really clear, tangible ways that you can do it. The one thing that I think you should do is be in your classroom as much as possible. And some schools are making that impossible to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, but there are things. So one thing is, is that it's just a fact that wherever there's a pride flag put up in your school, you can demand that your religious flag is put in. Now they will mm -hmm. on the surface level say you can't. They will say, oh, well, that's your religion. But in an NEA um, teacher's conference, 
the person said, don't shoot the messenger, but if they push, they can have their flags put up too. So that's one thing that you can do so that your kids, when they're going and seeing these flags hanging up in their things, they can find representation for themselves too. Because if you represent one group, you have to represent all of them. Hmm. Well, that's interesting that somebody uh, had made that suggestion previously was Deborah, did you, you sent us a thing, right? Where somebody had um, maybe put up a Trump flag, which is a totally, that's a different thing. I mean, that's kind of, I, I just was looking at the comments here in the chat and Patty P says, avoid going from one extreme to another. And she said that before, but that's what, that's what I think when I think, oh, pride flag. Oh, hello. I'm going to raise you a Trump flag. That's, but, so that's not what you're suggesting. You're just saying that there's, there are other like genuine forms of representation, not just, um, not just being as, as inflammatory as possible, but. No, I don't think you should be inflammatory. In fact, they will use, um, I have a, I have a person on my page right now who is trying to get me to sit in a circle of trans identified individuals and listen to them and learn to see them as human. Mm -hmm. And if anybody knows me, my, literally my platform is seeing the individual rather than the collective. So this, um, but he's on my page now. So, and he's a teacher mm. and his goal is to make me look as harmful as possible. Mm. So the thing is, is that I'm not harmful. And so I just say that we push back, but we push back with love and we push back with truth. Mm -hmm. And so whenever he pushes that, I'm not seeing these people, I said, oh no, I see these people. But what I also see are the detransitioners that you're erasing, that these kids are being pushed into something. And then when they find that it, when they find that there's nobody there who stood up for them and everybody affirmed them, then they come back angry. And I will not be the person that they're coming back and saying, why didn't you tell me the truth? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to tell the truth. We have to tell it in love. Um, but I do think we have to fight back because we're always on the offense. We're always on the, why did you do this to us? Instead of saying, I honestly believe that especially religious children should go to school when they, when they return to school in September or August, whenever they do, I think they should go to school with their crosses <laughs> they should go to school with whatever it is that they need and they should say we want representation too in fact we don't just want it we demand it because school should be neutral or at very least it should be a fair place so what about the argument that none of that belongs in school at all i mean i agree with school it. should just be about education i mean is that when we're but when we're so when we're bringing Ultimately, when we bring all things to the table for representation, aren't we obscuring the purpose of education, of the, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic we're, we're sending our kids to school for in the first place? I absolutely agree with that. Mm -hmm. That was the argument at first. We're not going to win it. Mm -hmm. So if we're not going to win, if this is what has been said, if um, the secretary of education can openly say that acceptance is not enough acceptance is the, his words, the bare minimum. We want celebration and we want celebration every single day. Then at what point is school even still worth it? Wow. That's really interesting. I, I wonder just go on a tangent off of that acceptance. Well, what about, isn't there, there's a line from tolerance to acceptance where acceptance is a, um, um, a bigger, a bigger hug than tolerance. And then we're all the way to celebration. It's not just, you must tolerate, but you must accept, but it not just accept, you must celebrate. Yes. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do, if you don't go all the way to celebration, you will be painted as unkind. So you have to get used to it or you have to be so solid in who you are that this is what I, what I tell people, I say, if I found a person in the middle of the road who was bleeding, bruised and bleeding, I would stop and I would help them. I would not stop and say, well, do you have the same political affiliation do I, that I do? Do you, you know, what, what is your gender preference? Do I, I need to know your pronouns before I can help you. You help a person because they need help. And that to me is the definition of kindness. So if your kindness is predicated on 
them fitting into your group, then you're not a very kind person. And that is where my fight comes from. I don't care if a child is lesbian or gay, even though I generally don't think that they're old enough to make up. Well, if gender is fluid, then they're not open old enough to make those decisions. They, sexuality shouldn't play a part in their education, in my opinion. But, um, yep, I lost my train of thought. Anybody else feel free to talk. I think I want to share the celebration because that's good. Maybe make going farther afield oh, from this Deborah, topic. Your, your audio cut out there a little bit. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oops. Sorry. That's okay. Can you hear me okay? Is that working? Yeah, yeah, now it's working. Okay. Um, just the celebration thing, I don't want to go too far afield, but it's been making me think, you know, this idea of this, this, this belief system as a religion, like it's starting to feel like we're doing the offering, like that's what we're worshiping. Like if you're going to be in celebration mode of anything, that feels a little worshipy to me or something like that. And so there's something that, that something odd about that. I don't like any of the coercion of any of it, but just just that fac facet of it seems to be highlighting more where this is definitely like a belief system slash religion. Anyway, right. I, I know and they're losing really, ground yeah. on that. They're losing ground on that because teachers will say, well, transitioning is a medical diagnosis. Religion is not. But they're losing ground because you can point out, you can say, oh no, your holy book is this, you know, your holy book is uh, critical theory, or that's your, that's your theology, your, um, like the people that you worship are Robin D'Angelo, I'm going into social justice here, but Robin D'Angelo, Derek Bell, um, versus, or queer theory, Gail Rubin, right, so these are, these are who your holy books are, you demand repentance, so our governor put out a thing that said, this month, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically this month we honor Pride Month and, and anyone who celebrates it. And then the Utah Pride came back to them and said, this isn't enough. And we demand that you say our names, say trans, say lesbian, say gay, we exist. And so publicly shaming our governor and in an example of centering. And so I shared this in the group and a teacher just lost his ever love in mind and was just he was just very much um what does this have to do with our education and I said it has everything to do because if you'll shame our governor what will you do to our children to make sure that they are compliant to make sure that they quote unquote celebrate and I'm sorry but there's nothing celebratory about being forced to do something that is against your conscience well it's so, really interesting what you're highlighting there is that they they shamed him based on him not going far enough. I mean, he's embracing their ideology. He's already giving voice to it, but he didn't go far enough. And so they're gonna pull him in further through these kind. And, and yet, uh, what's the relative punishment for being farther and farther away from their perfect? What they're, they're telling him, here's perfect. Perfect is say our names, say these exact words, spout it just like this. And if you don't do that, you're, you know, we're going to, we're going to punish you in this, in this way. But as you get further and further away from where they want you to be, the punishment doesn't really grow that much. What's the worst thing that they can say to you? The worst words that they can use for you are what transphobe, racist, Bigots. Bigots. white supremacy. And those words have lost their meaning because they have been watered down to the point where, I mean, uh, Carib, are you a white supremacist yet? Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I am one of the, I am one of the black face of white supremacy. <laughs> yeah, see, you know, this is like or, stupid. I'm a dealer of misinformation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at the point where anybody who says anything that even like starts to challenge, and we're not even talking about we have the opposite opinion. We're talking about maybe you could build more nuance into your argument, you know, and but then you're, you're painted as this bigoted transphobic white supremacist or whatever it is. They, these words have just, they're comical now. Yes. So who do they still have power over? Apparently the people that they still have power over are the people who really want to be accepted by the ideology. That's, that's right. And there's another interesting, and I think kind of frightening point there there. It's never far enough 
Mm. Meeting the demands does not result in a cessation of the demands. It results in an increase of demands. And for some reason, as a culture, we cannot wrap our minds around that. Mm. But the more we give, the more they demand. It's not as if people are going to say, wow, things really are fair. In fact, there's a whole month to celebrate us or, you know, hey, there aren't any laws that discriminate against people on the basis of race. We really have done quite a good job in this country. It's just a constant push and push and push. And I think that's number one, something that's kind of inherent and dark in our human nature. But I also think that it is part and parcel of critical theory because there's always the dismantling. There's always interrogating things and looking at things through the lens of suspicion. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And so there's just a constant pulling down of everything. I really feel like they're, they're pushing us to the point that we will go back to begging for authoritarianism. When, when we turn these kids into activists, when they destroy our communities, just like what's happening in France right now, there's a point where you're gonna say, just control them. Mm -hmm. And if that control means just control us all, great. So I, I think that that's the end goal here because you, like with the trans community, there's a hierarchy. And I mm -hmm. believe that it is a black um, male to female is, is that highest level. So everybody else is at some point going to fall on not being enough. That leaves for very few people in control when you get to the very top. So um, I do, I, th I think that the whole thing ultimately comes down to control. When you so, look at the people who push these and sponsor these mm -hmm. and the businesses, it tends to be people with intact straight families when you go to the very top, but yet they're pushing all of these ideas and telling us that we must embrace all of this. Why? So that we can be more and more divided. Well, it makes a lot of sense because there's, when you look at what's happening, there's so little, there's so little um, logic in the, the kinds of policies and I guess thought programs that are being instituted right now, it, unless it's just, unless the endpoint is just chaos. And then what do you get from chaos? What's who benefits from that? I guess it's the people who want more order and the ESG and the social crediting and the authoritarian garbage that we saw with the COVID lockdowns where governments are coming in really hard. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think it's also why, you know, when James Lindsay is often talking about don't, uh, what is that? What is his language? I mean, he's basically been let's like, let's not have a drag Floyd or like, I mean, he's really urging no violence because then the likelihood of that clampdown is, is high. Um, it's really interesting. It's kind of, you know, that was sort of the, in the, the civil rights era, that was the, the training people did in nonviolent resistance, like to really, 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 really make sure that you don't escalate at all. And it's kind of interesting, like, which parties are now going, we think we need to embrace that. Like, let's, let's make sure we, we do that too. And we don't um, go in that direction and then, you know, cause a really bad backlash. You know, whenever I talk to parents, I'm, I always channel back to that civil rights movement, even to the point that when I speak in front of um, the Congress or school boards that I dress <laughs> like I'm from the fifties. <laughs> I, I need that to kind of tell myself remember that people have gone through this before. Mm -hmm. And I've called this the new civil rights movement for a while because it does feel like that. And, and um, that infuriate, infuriates them because we are saying no violence. And we have to, because for one, there are people who will show up at events, not, I haven't had this happen to me, but there are people who will show up at events, pretend to be on the side and then strike they are the ones who create the violence. So you have to constantly. So when this person um, on my on my page says, you need to be more tolerant, you're causing harm or whatever, I am very clear to say, me not wanting to go to a kink festival 
me saying simply no thank you is not harm. And people will say, why do you even engage with this person? And I'm engaging with this person so that those people who are afraid to even say their name on my page will see that you can engage and that you can be strong and you can say, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. And if that makes you so angry, then maybe you should be the one <laughs> seeing somebody for mental health <laughs> because we are weakening people when we believe that, that, um, that no thank you causes harm. Jennifer, what do you think? Uh, I'm sitting here with a lot, a lot of thoughts. And when uh, Carrie, you mentioned earlier about how this, all the, the woke ideology and the trans ideology, it's captured the schools, but you also mentioned it's, mentioned it's captured the church. And on Twitter last night, I saw this disturbing post. Um, the Anglican church in Canada has now created a um, pastoral right for gender affirmation. Um, So in other words, they've created a ritual around when a person is transing. Um, And so it is being built into the the religious rites and rituals of what the Anglican church does in Canada. And that will come I think everywhere as well. And yeah, I'm just to to be clear, so the church is making um, an official rite of passage for this cosmetic intervention. Yeah, yeah, they are. They have a whole little prayer that they're going to say, holy and gracious God, we ask your blessing on fill in the blanks family, their healthcare teams, and on all who support them in the process, yada yada yada. Um and you know, a few weeks ago, on one of our um, in one of our conversations, Jenny Holland said that she thinks that the cultural revolution has really already happened. And I see many elements of which I think she's correct. That doesn't mean I think we should give up and you know not push back. But um, I've been sitting with that, and I've I've been sitting with a lot of stuff that um, is really disturbing me and trying to figure out um i guess on a different level now how to how to kind of be in the world where there are so many things that just 100 percent violate my values violate my sense of reality my sense of what it means to be human to be respectful to one another to be fair to be egalitarian it's um yeah i i just am kind of in a period of struggle with all of this stuff and I, and I, you know, I find myself, aside from talking to like awesome people like you guys, I find myself really wanting to pull back from society, you know, like if I could just go get a cabin in the woods somewhere, I'm, I'm getting to that place. I really am. I, I find this stuff just, especially when it gets in the church, because I really, my understanding of churches, it's sort of your sanctuary the world it's your place when your soul is broken you go and you lay down your soul and there's a balm to your soul and now it's there and it just um it it totally crushes me to be honest it it really does and i have just like lost all faith in the church Hmm. and i know that there are some churches who are still standing strong and you know good for them i'm i'm really glad to see that but at least where i live I can only think of one. There might be others I don't know about. Yes. I think that if the cultural revolution has come and gone, then we are extremely lucky. And that was the most gentle cultural revolution in the history of ever. Um, And I also think that there's so many people that behind closed doors don't believe this. That's why they're saying, I can teach my kid at home. They don't understand the depths of where we're at. But I do think that until it's bloody, it's not really a cultural revolution. Um, And that's where my concern comes with teaching our children to be activists. Because I think I might've shared this before, but when I was in Washington, I was assaulted 
by someone simply because um, I held a sign that said character matters. Mm -hmm. So I know where this can head. Um, and especially, especially if they have the full weight of the government supporting them. I was speaking to somebody who um, grew up under Mao's cultural revolution. Um, I did an interview with her and she, I asked her, I said, are we there? And she said, not until the government sanctions violence. Mm -hmm. That's when we're truly there. Do I think it's coming? Yeah, I do. I, I, I think that there are going to be kids that are assaulted at schools. Um, I know of another interview that I did with, with these two parents and their daughter was extremely, she, she's nonverbal, she's in a wheelchair, but her brother decided to run Bible studies at his school. And so they sent to the, to the handicapped child, we hope you get raped by a bunch of men. Um, and I mean, it was extremely violent things that they were wishing on this person. And when the family went to the school and said, this isn't okay, surely this isn't okay. Um, they sided with the GSA. Oh my gosh. So I do think that we're, we're getting close and you have to protect your kids, but I believe the best way to protect those kids is to get them as some of my friends say to higher ground. Mm. It is not to physically fight back. The second that you physically, even if you, where we're at now with the whole Title IX thing is that even if you say something that is, um, that can be a federal offense. That's what happened with, with Title IX just recently. But if you lift your hand to them, that's why you need to get out. Because mm -hmm. if you lift your hand to fight back, if somebody is assaulting you, you're likely to be the one who's, who's deemed as guilty. So that's really heavy. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, though, um, the churches that are holding strong, that aren't falling for needing to be, quote unquote, relevant, um, they're growing in leaps and bounds because people are seeking, they are seeking for, even if it's not truth, I happen to believe that Christianity is truth, but even if it's not truth, they are seeking for some sort of what they always knew and including our teenagers. So, um, so churches are growing hugely. And that is something that my pastor told me because I was getting very anxious, like massive amounts of anxiety. And then he said, do you know, when the church grows, the church always grows under the greatest amounts of, per of persecution. Well, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to respond to it and what you said and what Jennifer said. And I think what you said earlier, Kara, when, when I was asking about education and you said kids are coming home and it's not just, they're not just getting it in education. They're also getting it from social media. They're also getting it from entertainment. They're getting it in church. They're getting it everywhere. And it is true. It's pervasive right now. It's going on. It's the, the, this, this ideological trend is taking over everywhere. I do think it's most insidious that it's in the education system because the kids are captive there and parents, many parents don't see an alternative that they can avail themselves of. And so their kids are sitting captive to this for, you know, hours every single day. Um, but, but how prevalent it is everywhere, I think is, um, is really relevant and important to address. And something else that you said about how many people don't agree with this. I think that's so important that there's a smokescreen going on where everybody we look around and we think everybody else must agree with this. And so we keep our mouths quiet and people don't want to risk their job and they don't want to risk their social, uh, you know, approbation from, from other uh, parents or from whatever social groups that they're in. And so they don't speak up about it, or maybe it just feels like uh, it's not being addressed so directly that it's their turn to address it because they're just hearing about it over here. And that obliqueness of this being everywhere, but not come, not asking you for your response means that in order to come in with your response, you have to be the, the assertive one and kind of be the aggressor and look like the, you know, be afraid of getting those labels and, and, and that backlash. But I think that it is there are so many more people that are concerned about these things than we realize. Not everybody agrees. And what a, what a 
false narrative that we all have to agree on everything anyway. I mean, even just within this, there's people who think who are, we talk to people in solid ground who are worried about who came because they were worried about COVID mandates, but they're not the, the CRT stuff and the gender stuff isn't really that salient to them yet. It's not really on their radar for whatever reason. And vice versa, we've got people who would probably still wear a mask, you know, <laughs> are really concerned about COVID and, and don't feel like it was a government overreach necessarily, or really aren't thinking about that too much, but are really concerned about the uh, gender stuff in schools or whatever. So it, even within that, we're, we're not monolithic. And the idea that we have to be in order to agree with one another on anything, that we have to agree on everything is, um, I think that's a dangerous misperception. I, I think that people are being taught not to think. Mm -hmm. That seems sure. to be, that, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like they're, they're, they're told, trust this, we have your best interest in mind. And how people still follow that, it doesn't make sense to me. On, on a fundamental level, it just never has made sense to me. It's, I mean, since I was eight, I've been extremely independent. So I, um, I just look at it and I, how do we not look at facts? How, how do we not look at facts and go, we are more divided. However you want to look at that, we are more divided in this country as we are about to celebrate Independence Day. We're more divided in than we've ever been before. And yet people lie to us and say that we're not, that everything we're doing is for a democracy when half the people are shunned for speaking. Well, it's the tyranny of the majority, right? Um, so there's a couple of questions in the chat that I am kind of not following it super well because I'm trying to listen to what everybody's saying, but I wanted to read. Um, Mobile Writer asked a couple of questions that were interesting. Um, I'm not sure which to start with. I guess I'll start with the one about women. Mobile Writer, I'm assuming you're a man, but I don't know, maybe you're not, um, asked about he says, I, I just think that the nature of this issue is such that it will be won or lost by women. And then just a little earlier, because the ideology is being pushed in schools where women dominate, I believe this will take non-ideologically bound women to convince other women to abandon the ideology. And that's, I, I, I found that question interesting. I don't know, I don't know what I think about that. There's a lot of, a lot of talk around this lately around what role do women, and I'm even hearing so often lately, even from the non-woke types about how um, straight white women are the problem. And it's like, you guys are using their language, you know? And, <laughs> and that's, it's like, oh, it's the middle-class straight white women. They're the problem. Well, they're the problem for both sides, apparently, aren't they? So uh, at what point do we just see people as individuals and stop talking about people in terms of group? And I'm, I'm not sure, but there, there maybe is something there worth discussing. What do you guys maybe, think? Well, I think it is true that, that some of the, at large, the, I mean, speaking generally, like the, the people who have been most vocal about the schools needing to not be indoctrinating students, it's been all the moms groups that have formed. Not that there's not fathers who are doing it speaking out about it and doing a great job of it. There are, but it has really been moms groups, like Moms for Liberty. And so uh, there are a lot of female voices definitely that are really active in that arena. Are they the problem? Are they the solution? Are they both or are they neither? What do you think? I don't think, I don't think they're the problem at all. I think they're trying to get the schools back to focusing on educating people rather than indoctrinating them. So I'm very grateful that they exist. Um, yeah, but it does tend to be moms, maybe because, you know, moms are very heavily engaged with their kids, maybe more so than dads. And so when it comes to it being the purview of the school system, the moms are more engaged in that. I don't know. You know, this maybe is a little bit of a side note. When my girls were little, when they were um, entering kindergarten and through, I don't know, third grade or something, 
my older one went kindergarten to third grade at this school that was very poor. We lived near a bunch of apartments. It was, it was a really um, low income area. It was a great school, actually, really, really good school. And the parents were great. Lots of parent involvement. When we moved to another, um, we, I, I ended up having to leave that apartment. The person who owned it wanted to move back in. I was really sad. I loved my little condo. I loved their school. Uh, we moved and I, when I was looking at where to move, I actually chose based on school district. And I chose to move to a school district that had really high ratings. And it was, we were living in a kind of a poorer area of a really wealthy school district at that point. And when I started going to meetings there and attending PTA meetings, just like I had done previously, the biggest thing that stood out to me, at first I was shocked and I, by the difference, there were men there. That was the difference. I hadn't realized that. I just, it, it was like the water I was swimming in. You know, I was a single mom myself and PTA was just a bunch of moms coming together to talk about, you know, school issues and curriculum and kids and whatever. The wealthy school district, now there's dads and they were involved too. And I think that we really lose something when the dads are not in the picture, when men are not in the picture. And so I, I don't know, that's not, it's not a black and white issue. It's just to say that I don't think it's simply about women. I think that men, and I think that there's different pressures placed on men as well. Like during COVID, um, when I would, when I would go to stores, I wouldn't wear a mask. I just didn't believe in the mask. I thought it was ridiculous. And I would very seldom see other people without masks. And usually they were women who were brave enough to go out and not put that on their face. And I wondered about the men. Do, I wondered how much, more, how much more do you have to push against the social currents if you already are afraid that people see you as an aggressor to do something that looks non-compassionate and non-empathetic and that can be read that way? How much harder is it on you and how much heavier is that pressure? So I spent the last month interviewing fathers and um, every single one of them, even though they were all different demographics, every single one of them was, they took their role of being a protector very seriously. And that is what we're missing, I think, in this, is that a lot of fathers, and they, they are afraid, and they also feel like the best thing they can do. Some of the, some of the strongest moms have silent husbands because they're they're trying to make sure that they're still going to be um you know that they're not going to get canceled that their families are still going to have a roof over their head and everything else but when fathers speak it is so powerful and that is why for the last I don't know I don't even know how long but I've men have been told that they're toxic right men have been told that they're toxic and they feel weak and they are told constantly women rule the world so of course they putting it on women and then we're also seen as being the nurturers so um but we're not necessarily the protectors and one of the things that I've realized is that it is really hard to go out there and and talk when you come home and your spouse is kind of like oh could we give it a rest because there's no resting for me. This whole thing is like a hamster wheel in my head, both from the, the place of thankfully, I don't have to deal with transgenderism, but the race issue has been on my head since March of 2020, like never stopping at all. And maybe because my husband's Caucasian, it, it, it doesn't, he doesn't see it the same way that I do, but I see it in, in multiple ways. I don't want my child to Re, to learn critical resentment theory. I'm just, I'm not interested in that. And I'm not interested in any child being told that they're a victim. And I'm definitely not interested in our children carrying the weight of, of assaulting other people. So we need our dads to stand up and be the protectors and be the people who are standing in front of us going, I've got your back, hon. You know, we, that's something we desperately need. And our children need it. And our boys my God, do our boys need to see their fathers standing up because our boys are getting a message. And that message is either in this house we stand or in this house as men, we put our heads in the sand, we, we stay quiet and we just, you know, avoid. 
So, yeah. and, and leadership, leadership, like it's considered toxic. Or if you are religious and you, you look to the man in the house as being that leader, they call that backwards. They call it the patriarchy, right? But that works. Sorry, but it, it just, it works. So unless your husband's a dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you mean though. It works well when the man really is that loving protector and the responsible, stable person, it really works beautifully. Yeah. And then, and then I'm going to go back to the dick because this is, this is real. I, I do I told Leslie about this off, off of air, but so there are, they say white middle-class women, but I would say that some of the people pushing the most social justice are white women married or in relationships or having fetishes for black men. So there, it, that is a, it, that's what I see here. I see some of the most vile pushing women as women who, <clears throat> seem to want to be satisfied in another way <laughs> so that's that's <laughs> really interesting and when you said that I was like I don't know I, I I have not observed this but that is really interesting it'd be interesting to it's just I don't I don't understand why but they are they are the ones who are like I know all of these things and I'm just like oh my gosh no you don't you don't know these things but you seem to be obsessed ever since Barack <laughs> with that <laughs> yeah he, he is handsome I could see that triggering fetish he's a handsome man oh gosh oh my gosh that's funny that is so funny yeah I hadn't heard that one you should have had that, uh, that that sex conversation with us Kara the other day <laughs> I would get in trouble I'm a good little <laughs> Mormon girl so yeah oh that's funny no, but, it, but yeah, to the broader topic, women and men, I, I hear what you're saying and I agree with what you're saying. This, this, the same ideology that we're dealing with and, and before it feminism, which I think, and I don't know, I've, I'm not, I've never considered myself to be a feminist, but I've also never been anti-feminist. I just don't, I don't know. I don't really, I, I'm not up to date on all these, these schools of thought in in an academic sort of way where I can parse this, but I, I think that feminism had at its core, at least in the beginning, just the assertion that women are also valuable and that women have uh, minds and motives and, and needs and abilities that should stand equal in equal weight and equal value with those of men, but not but the, the idea that we have to equalize everything down to role and down to um, you know, the essence and do away, what is, so, so there's like a the dualism here, right? So we're supposed to get rid of gender and, and nothing has a value. Women and men are exactly the same. And yet at the same time now, the, the ideology sweeps in and says, it's so important and we should pay such attention to all these little differences. And oh, Johnny really likes to play with Barbies and wear dresses. So he's really a girl. And I'm just like spewing right now because it's, that's what it does to my mind. I'm so confused about it myself. What are, what are we being told? But, um, but yeah, the ideology has really undermined men to a great extent. It's it tells men, the APA telling men that their, their masculinity is toxic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what message are we sending to little boys? What are they supposed to be? They're supposed to be, they're supposed to make themselves small, make themselves small, be quiet. Don't look aggressive. What does that leave? But women to take up this you know, the strength role. And, and I don't think that it's, I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm just like really spewing here. My biggest <laughs> criticism of feminism is that, you know, I, I agree with what you said, Leslie, in terms of how it started out. And I think mm -hmm. it was very necessary, but then I think it got into this thing where it veered off and basically the feminist way of proving that women are valuable is to prove that they could be like men. And so there was a bit of um, disrespect and devaluing of women built into it because it was like, well, women can only prove that we're valuable if we're doing 
more of the things that men are doing. Mm-hmm. So it was as if they felt that what women were doing, you know, having babies, raising children, running a household, wasn't equally as valuable and that they had to prove that they could do what a man does in order to gain value. And I absolutely don't agree with that. And I think that what's ended up happening is that because feminists were so eager to prove that we can do everything a man can do, now we have to do everything because the men can't take over getting pregnant. The men can't take over breastfeeding. They're not gonna spend nine months with their head in the toilet and then go to work and have to be pumping milk. And so it's just ended up that the burden that women face is so much more. And I always felt that like when I was a kid, I used to think, you know, I grew up back in the seventies and I thought that the idea was supposed to be that women had options, that if women wanted to pursue a career, that they absolutely should have the right to do that. Not that you have to do it all. And now I think it's become that you do have to do it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It comes down yeah. to Mao. Mao stripped men and women of differences. Came out and said, cut your hair, change your clothes, nothing. Because we can strip the essentialism of families if we don't have certain roles that we carry. Nailed it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and and now what are we looking for? If, if I'm blunt, and I know that there will be people who will get upset with this, but we're looking at, we're staring at global communism in the face. Mm-hmm. And every single thing that is happening has happened before. If you look at history, it just, it absolutely. So that seems to be what we're doing is, mm-hmm. is staring at these people. And I think the ultimate thing that we can do to come mm-hmm. full circle We've got to homeschool, especially these boys. We have to teach our boys to be men. I love James Lindsay recently put out a um, uh, homily to the young man. Hmm. And hmm. I play that for my son. We've listened to it a couple of times. And he literally is like, I want to work, mom. I want to work. So I've got a kid who's doing an internship and he's only 14 years old. No, I'm sorry. He's 15 now, but barely, yeah. you know, and, and he work. he wakes up in the morning and I hold the, while scouts have been captured there, you can still get those merit books um, the, that have all of the things that they can do. And so we just follow them and I'm just marking them off. And I don't care that it's been captured. I'm not going to send him to Jamboree, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, but we have to we have to make our boys proud of being men and we have to help them embrace positive masculinity because if we don't, we're going to have a lot of unhappy people and we're going to have no families, which is every single person that I've spoke to who's talked about escaping communism or why they kept their sanity was because their family stayed intact through the whole mess. Yeah. And I think the same goes what you just said goes for women too. Girls need to stop being shamed for wanting to get married, for wanting to have a baby. We're constantly told, you don't need a man. You don't need a man. As if you're, it's just a shameful thing that you have that desire for that partner. Mm-hmm. And I think that's done a terrible disservice to females, but also to males who are really being kind of treated as if they're not essential. And what you were saying earlier about the cultural revolution, like it's like it hasn't come fully. I, I think that it's like, we're partially there, but yeah, obviously it could get so much worse. And people who have grown up in, um, in Mao's China have talked about how they're seeing the seeds for that being planted now. And that's what scares me because I don't want us to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Jennifer, even more, to your point, girls also need to not be shamed for not wanting to be the most sexy and not wanting to be objectified and not wanting to develop that one aspect of themselves to, to the point of caricature, which is what we see. I, I think that that's, there's a crisis in femininity of not seeing yourself as valid if you're not really, really beautiful or really, really sexy. This, this, one aspect of womanhood or girlhood 
that's being valued over others and wanting a monogamous partner, not wanting to be promiscuous, not, you know, not wanting to be involved in hookup culture. There's a lot of pressure on girls around those things as well. Yeah. Good point. Very much so. I'm really hoping there's more. I mean, I'm seeing, I think the message is starting to get there a little bit because I've been seeing it at least in my podcast worlds and others, at least of starting to say to younger women, let's reconsider the order of career. Like let's re let's consider your twenties. The, the, all these issues just about fertility. Um, like more and more and more podcasts. I'm just seeing like, what did the guy say the other day? If you're over 30, you have a 50% chance of not being able to conceive, like just even getting that information into people's hands and that I feel like that's more likely to change a little more quickly than perhaps what we, what do we need to do to have the cultural norms change? So there isn't this emphasis on like the beauty and the sexuality when you're like 13 years old, like that, I, I don't know who the influences need to be, or I, I, I just, I'd like to see, I don't know. I don't know how young girls talking to younger girls. I, I don't know if anyone's doing anything in that space particularly where you can see it more messages are being given to the 20 plus year olds. So I don't know if there need to be school, like new not really schools, but some sort of programming. I don't mean bad programming <laughs> that we need to deprogram for your teens. I mean, I, I think of what all these girls are going through in the whole transing thing. I, mean, I remember not wanting to develop being very scared of all of that. Uh Oh, what kind of attention am I going to get? I, maybe I don't want it. And so, uh, I don't know, a lot needs to be done in that domain for your, your tween, you know, turning teen. And because and, if you, you, know, you get onto the abortion issue and everything else, if we just started like way earlier that your value is not associated with getting the guy to have sex with you or like, like all those things, um, we don't have the downstream effects from that as much. So is anybody, do we know of anybody that's like writing, speaking to that age group? I think Brett Cooper. Hmm. Brett Cooper's probably be, is is reaching out to. What's the, the first name? Cooper. Brett Cooper. Brett Cooper. Okay. She does the the comment set the comments section, and she is who because the kids aren't listening to people their age necessarily. Oh. These these girls think and are influenced by people who are older than them. Um, not a lot older than them, but like that twenty year old would be the influencer for a lot of the 13 year olds mm -hmm. um, because they've got the body that that 13 year old fantasizes about having. Mm -hmm. And seems so inaccessible to the 13 year old. Seems like right. they'll never be there. And then when they go to, they're having certain events like at churches where they'll go, they'll go and they'll learn about their worth. But a lot of them are bending towards the progressive. Mm. A lot of them are bending towards, um, towards yeah, gender affirming and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you have to be so careful in every one of those kind of situations. Like I, I will call and ask what's going on. Or um, we have a few, they're called firesides. Mm -hmm. um, and they will have people come and talk to them and do presentations about gender affirming care inside the church. Oh, wow. So back to I the think, church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm mindful of the time because it's time for Jennifer to go to her group. Um, as usual, the conversation starts one place and goes all over the place, but I love that. And I'm really grateful for being the way that we can explore these things and engage with them. And I'm really grateful to the people who join us in the chat it, it always seems like it'd be fun to be able to engage more with the chat, but then we get to talking and we don't. So thank you for your questions and your, and your um, engagement there though. Um, I'm looking right now, uh, the mobile writer says, can you talk about the Supreme Court decision and your thoughts of, on how it will impact? Well, I don't know, do, does anybody just wanna grab that for two minutes or shall we wrap and talk about it another time? It's a, it's a big one, isn't it's it? Big. <laughs> it's too big. Yeah, I know. We, we thought about talking about that today. In fact, we were going to talk about that today, but we, we didn't get to it. Patty P says it's pornography. Yes, I agree. The finisher, it's all porn. Yes, I, I, I'm with you guys. So um, 
And then my, uh, Michelle says, are, I think, are you from the US just as background reference? We are all in the US. Yes, all four of us are. We don't always only talk to US people, but oh, yeah. David, David is in the UK. He's our regular. That's right. Co-host. And we, there's a lot of solid ground members from all over the place, all over the US, Canada mm-hmm. and England. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. All right, y'all. Um, thanks again to everybody and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.